Hi, I'm Jake Parker, and this is my podcast, Beyond Fit. My goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics, as well as self-improvement. If you want to find out more about me, visit my website, jake-parker.com. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Beyond Fit podcast. My guest today is Jeremiah Bear. He's been on the podcast once before, and he's someone that I keep up with his content a lot. He is a coach, uh, lives down in Arizona, but where our original connection came from is we didn't realize this until afterwards, but we both uh, went to University of Nebraska-Lincoln, so we kind of connected over that and have stayed in touch. I wanted to have him back on the podcast, talk about a few of the things he's been posting, uh, what he's been up to, et cetera, so I'll let Jeremiah go ahead and say hi on his end. Dude, of course. Thank you for having me, man. It's been super fun. It's been very interesting. Like, like we were literally just talking about, like you having this, all that Kanye's mm-hmm. albums, like on mm-hmm. your wall. It's been super interesting to connect with you, like since we talked on the podcast. Because going into that, I didn't either realize that we. I feel like you and I have a weird amount of things in common, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and for even sure. like people we follow. So that's been dope to see. Yeah, yeah. I've been really into the. Uh, well, I wouldn't say too much of a deep dive. But I have been paying more attention to the uh, the 3DMJ guys ever since okay. we talked last. You mentioned him. I really I'm thinking about get a, getting a subscription to that mass review, but it's pretty expensive. super good. Yeah, I mean it's very much like if you want to dive into the science, it's it's good. Um, it I would say it's worth it, man. If you mm-hmm. go on to, I think that you follow Jeff Nippert at all. Yes. So I think like on his YouTube videos, he has like a 20% off disc or they post like all the time. There's like, you can get deals on it. So I would say definitely if you want to dive into the science, if you want to like dive into all these research studies, if that does anything for you, it's probably worth it. Mm -hmm. So who is all, is there like, like three or four guys that are the main guys? I know Eric Helms obviously is like one of the most popular ones. Mm -hmm. Greg Knuckles and who else is like essentially part of the 3dmj team okay so 3dmj is i believe it's eric helms um alberto nunez there is what is her name argon is that is is he associated with them so he kind of has his own he's kind of off doing his own thing i believe i mean they're all kind of somewhat interconnected as like they're really like the godfathers of the quote-unquote evidence-based like Mm -hmm. nutrition and training so Alan and Alan Aragon's kind of like an OG of all of that, but I I'm sure they're friends, but I don't think they're like really connected. It's it's so weird to me. Like sometimes I think like how obvious it is now, like who are the important guys to follow and who are the most impactful and know the most. But I looked right. like two, three years ago before I really felt like I got a good grasp of the evidence and science based uh people and who to follow and what was important and what to keep up on and stuff like that. It's really unfortunate that it's not more relevant, you know, like oh, in, in popular culture, like who's a good example. Like I wish like Eric Helms was as popular as like right. Oz or something like that. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. That's, that's the weird thing about like, we're kind of in a bubble. I feel like as like people that are in a fitness and we've been into this for so long that like you said, we know like, Okay, I'm gonna, Mike Matthews puts out solid content. I'm going to follow him. Then, like, you find all these people they're associated with. But then it's, like, for so many people that follow you, or, like, I tell – I was just telling a coach that I mentored this the other day, like, mm-hmm. 
you are literally for so many people on your social media. Like I feel like people feel overwhelmed, like if they're going to start trying to put fitness information out there, but for literally so many people on your social media, like you're the only fitness person they follow, which is like for us, it's crazy to think about because that's pretty much like, I know for me, that is, that is my Instagram feed. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's when you mentioned Mike Matthews, like I've, I, I always keep up with him on Instagram and I know like, I get to talk to him here and there. Like I was on his podcast. So I, That's dope. I, uh, and then like, he's really good about replying to people's emails and like DMS and stuff like that. Oh yeah. And I know that it's been over the past like year or two more so than ever. It's been kind of a focus to build up his Instagram and his social media presence. And it's still like, I think he has like 60,000 followers or something like that, right. which is obviously a lot, but it's like, you look at, you know, whatever, like, fitness you know instagram influencer that has like two million followers and it's like i wish i could point people to this direction because it's like crazy how much quality information guys like mike matthews has like he's putting out a couple podcasts a week i think he's been really ramping up his content more than ever Mm -hmm. i've noticed that yeah and i heard him say something on a podcast recently he's like yeah if you head on over to legion he consolidated which was smart his muscle for life and legion that was kind of confusing with the two brands yeah. And he's like, I have like over a thousand articles on there by now. And literally like when I look up things, like a lot of times when I'm blogging, I want to find some like information on whatever it is, like from a training uh, principle to like something about diet where like he seriously has so much information. I've done the same dude so many times. Like say, I remember not too long ago, I was wondering about something about like dairy and how it impacts you know the the way that we feel or something like that and i just typed in like mike matthews dairy and this whole article comes up that he wrote and it's like i feel like i've heard <laughs> topic that he that he hasn't written about so it's really no cool. i've done the exact same thing like muscle for life is like fitness google essentially mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there's <laughs> so many blogs i'm like damn i need i know this is a thing but i need like a better understanding i need more mm-hmm. references on this so i've literally done that exact same thing like mike matthews gluten and there's like a <laughs> 5,000 word article yeah, on exactly. it. Exactly. And I do the same thing with mind pump. That's actually, I think I told you this the first time we talked, but that's actually how I came across you. Like I was reading some mind pump articles and like something, Jeremiah Barry's a graduate of university of Nebraska Lincoln. I was like, Oh, interesting. Right. right. And- yeah. No, my, mind pump is a super solid resource too. But like you're saying, man, it's, it's crazy. And I feel like mind pump has, mind pump has grown their reach a lot. Mm-hmm even like since I was blogging for him, but it is just like you're saying, like, it's crazy. Like last, do you know who Jay Ferrugia is? I don't think so. Okay. So he's kind of, again, like an OG in the game, but um, like last weekend I was, I got to meet him at a conference I was at and it was mm-hmm. crazy to me. I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I met Jay Ferrugia. And then like, I was like looking at his Instagram and it's like weird to think like he has like, I think it was like 37,000 followers. And it's like, it's so wild to think about like, still like somebody to me it's like oh man i can't even believe i met him like mm-hmm. i'm so nervous and shit but then it's like how like relatively small influence people like that have. yeah yeah it is crazy and uh yeah i think that uh the interesting thing about mind pump to me is like those are definitely my two um most followed like resources as far as like a, i guess you'd call them both like a brand as mm-hmm. far as mike matthews being legion and just mind pump as their brand overall and right. I think that like, I'll, like I listen to most of both of their podcasts. And I think the thing that's interesting is like mind pump is much more interested in some of the fringe sort of stuff where like Mike Matthews is like 
a, a very X's and O's type of person. Like, what does the research say? Like, and that's kind of like his personality too. I've heard him talk about the fact that like, he's never drank, he's never used drugs right. and, stuff, and like, he's just a very, very regimented, like X's and O's sort of guy. And so it's cool to contrast that with more anecdotal stuff too, that, that more people are putting out. Like I just put this podcast out the other day that was, I think I called it um, the distance between knowledge and application because right. I think it's so interesting in the health and fitness space where like it's like it, there's these bodybuilders that have been doing this stuff for 20 30 40 years and like they don't necessarily know why they do certain things but it's like we've always done this and it produces this result whereas like there's you know these literally research that's been done over the course of weeks months etc that has these conclusions and I think it's interesting to look at both and kind of take from from both of them right no I agree 100% dude and that's it's definitely a fine line between the two because I think the problem so often is like if you are super deep in the research you get so caught up in like what's most optimal and especially like speaking from my experience as a coach like when I knew like okay it's most optimal for this client their macros are going to be this Mm -hmm. this this they're going to be training five times a week they're going to be hitting this frequency this is their volume and this client that I'm like talking to has never tracked macros in their life Mm -hmm there's overwhelmed after a week and they fall off. Right. Like, and then it's like, well, did I really do them any favors? Like that wasn't the most. So there's so many different angles you could look at that from, but like, that's one thing I've noticed a ton is like, it's dope to have an understanding of all this. And I think it's important to like look at what research says so you can evolve as a coach or even like if you're just training yourself, but also we have to keep in mind that like, it's not the end all be all like these studies that they did on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like to say that people aren't an equation. So it's like, exactly. If you, if you, if you found that, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree that if you were to look at the best diet for strictly muscle growth and muscle hypertrophy is a higher carb diet for a handful. Right. Of things. But if someone just really prefers higher fat foods and their diet, there's no right. reason you should try to push them on a hard, on a higher right. carb diet. Right. And one of the biggest one speaking to that, one of the biggest shifts I've made in nutrition coaching over the last couple of years is most of my clients, unless it's somebody that say like getting ready for a photo shoot or another coach that just really wants to nerd out of nutrition, most of my clients only track protein and calories. Mm-hmm. But since I've like made that shift, because it used to be like basically I learned how macros worked. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, we gotta hit all these macro goals. And nobody was sticking to it, dude. So like when I made that shift my client results got so much better. Mm -hmm. So that's like another thing we can look at. Like, okay, this is great, but we have to look at, these are real life people. Like we're not just in a lab. Like you said, people aren't an equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I noticed the same exact thing for myself. Uh, Like when I first got into tracking macros, it was a a ton of looking at Mike Matthews stuff. And I let, and I read bigger, leaner, stronger. And like, he is definitely the, the, uh, one of the people that really prioritizes a higher carb diet, he's like get 15 to 20% of your calories from fat and then the rest. And then obviously like about a gram of protein found a body weight and then carbs. And right. so I was bulking, it'd be like 400, 500 carbs. And it was just like hard Damn. to find enough food to like oh, yeah. fit those profiles. And so when, and so I, I, I kind of made that switch too to like just to focus on mainly protein and calories. And it's been so much of a, a better diet for me. Like a lot of times, right. I'll go as high as, I don't know, 80 to 100 grams of fat, depending on like what sort of phase I'm in. But I mm-hmm. find that fatty foods are a lot more accessible 
And oh, yeah. you know, I have this prioritization as similar to you of like whole natural foods. So when you look at stuff like eating a little steak, eating some nuts, you know, olive oil, stuff like that, they're just okay. a lot more accessible. Whereas I like to eat quality carbs like sweet potatoes, oatmeal, stuff like that when I can. And it's hard to get more than 100, 200 grams of carbs from that. Oh, sort yeah. of, um, on a regular basis, I guess, unless you're eating it like four or five times a day, which is tough. No, for sure. I'm yeah, I feel like it's, it's very easy, like you're saying to like in like snack foods to get foods that are mostly fat or foods that are quite a bit of fat, quite a bit of carbs, but it's hard to get like carbs in isolation. And it's hard to get protein in isolation, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you're just drinking like a Gatorade, which it's like, exactly. obviously, like you and I both know that sugar gets a little demonized, but it's not one of those things where I feel like I just want to include 60 grams of sugar just for the hell of right. not very many people actually need to be drinking gatorade to like mm-hmm. better fuel their performance yeah exactly there's just better things you could do and i really liked so- something else that's been a-, a big change of mine I-, I commented on your post about how you put something about eating three to four meals a day and not snacking mm-hmm. that's been a big change for me as well and it- and uh as i've learned more and been able to kind of dial in my fitness more i'm right. able to and it's like I think you'll agree like macros and calories and protein kind of become second nature at a certain point. Right. I've been focusing more on like getting enough nutrients and getting enough micronutrients and uh, diversity of that and stuff. So it's easier to do that in like three meals where it's like, sometimes I'll just have like all my vegetables at one meal, like I'll have a bag of broccoli and I'll have a big sweet potato at one meal and I'll have, you know, some fruit at one meal, like some berries and a banana. And I feel really good. I feel, I mean, it could just be kind of, you know, more of like a, an effect like in my head, but I feel like a lot better and a lot more fueled when I'm eating a right. lot of healthy foods that have these vital nutrients to them. Right. No, I agree hundred percent, dude. And I feel like, I mean, too, there's kind of, I see this a lot where like people are eating very small, like lots of snacks throughout the day, mm-hmm. but they're never like none of the whenever they eat, they're never actually getting satiated. So they're basically just constantly hungry, mm-hmm. constantly grazing. So then like over the course of the day, whereas like you're saying, you eat three big meals and you are very full for hours after you eat mm-hmm. each meal, right? Whereas like if you had, and it's often like where I see this most often is like, weirdly enough, people eating a lot of like protein bars or yeah. like yeah. almonds, dark chocolate. Dark chocolate's a super common one. And a lot of like nut butter, like, things that we somewhat consider health foods, yeah. but they're also very easy to like in this situation, it's people like tend to overeat them because mm-hmm. they're not really full. They're pretty calorically dense. So I, there's so much, and it's a weird thing because it's like, also like, I feel like people have really pushed back against the idea of like, like calories in calories out, right? Mm-hmm. Which we know is the overruling factor, but I feel like meal timing or like meal size plays into that a lot more than people realize Mm -hmm. i used to be like such a hardcore follower of the bodybuilding lore of like you have to eat every two to three hours and that's because when i look back now it's like no wonder i always had more body fat than i wanted because i was just eating too many calories right yeah i know exactly i don't want want my muscles to start wasting away if i don't eat every two three hours (laughs) (laughs) and that's what and that's like a situation where okay it goes too far the other way and it's like Mm -hmm. yes we do still need to account for calories as well Mm -hmm. right but i've done the exact same thing i've actually been on both ends of the spectrum so i've like done that and then it was actually when I first started listening to Mind Pump, I think, and I like was learning about intermittent fasting and I would only eat 
like I wouldn't eat until way later in the evening. Mm-hmm. So like I was, but I was also training first thing in the morning. So like I would train, I would feel terrible. And then I wouldn't eat for like a good eight hours after that. Mm-hmm. And like, similarly, I did not see near as good results because like, obviously like this idea of the anabolic window, we know it's, we have a longer time frame, mm-hmm. but it is a lot more ideal to get like some nutrients. Right. For sure. Yeah. And yeah, I think that, I think that I've also noticed that it feels, it feels a lot more satiating when you do get these like two, three, four meals in a day, you're most likely going to have a pretty good balance of carbs, fats, and proteins. And I feel mm-hmm. like that goes a really long way in satiating you. Whereas like if I were to have strictly carbs and protein, something like a protein shake, a banana, that's going right. to really quickly. I'm going to be hungry again really quickly. Right. No. No, similarly, I mean, fat's going to slow digestion. And then we can look at like in your carb sources. Well, we know like per calorie, the most satiating foods are going to be one, like a lean protein source. Mm -hmm. Next is going to be like a fiber dense carbs. And then we have fats. So like if you have a meal that has lean protein, some fibrous carbs and some fats in it as well, you're going to be full for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for most people, that's what like, if you just take that, it kind of auto regulates your appetite to where it's hard to overeat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I liked your, I liked your blog the other day where I think, I think you pulled it from somewhere or I don't, I don't think you made it yourself, but you might've where it was like a, a satiety kind of graph of like, Oh, right. Carbs yeah. Versus protein versus fat. Right. I yeah. Cause I, I, I had a pretty good idea, but it was cool to see it. Uh, put right. In. No, I definitely didn't make that. I think I that was from a test a textbook, okay. a textbook from some school in Australia. But yeah, that's something that I try to like educate my clients on because truly, like for most people, when you just understand how to eat foods that make you full, like right now we're just surrounded by such hyper palatable foods mm-hmm. all the time that it's just so easy to overeat. Not that these foods are bad or like to demonize them, but like if once people understand, oh, like if I just eat like this, like 80% of the time, it's literally hard for me to overeat. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just like a cheat code for most people, like fat loss or maintaining where you're at becomes so much easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, like, like I said, my intro to um, like calorie counting and macro tracking was through Mike Matthews. And then I basically, I was just like kind of blown away. It's like, oh, like look how easy it is just to track calories and track right. And the first time I tried to get really lean, I got to like 11% body fat. I was just tracking calories. I wasn't so much worried about satiating foods or like my fiber intake. Obviously, it was still high protein. But I was like, right. damn, like I'm getting so hungry now. And right. that's when I realized like it's not it's not as black and white as just counting calories if you want to get lean. Uh, to right. Like you don't want to feel hungry all the time. Oh, yeah, dude. And that's I do, I've done the exact same thing. And that's what that's why so many people I believe that's one of the biggest issues why so many people regain the weight after they lose because like the fat loss mindset, like, it's like, okay, I can be really hungry for 12 weeks. Like most of us can grind that out. And it's like, okay, I'm really damn hungry, but I see myself losing, mm-hmm. losing fat. This is motivating. But then like, when you get to your end point, and you haven't learned how to eat, like you're going to be able to, you're going to maintain on lower calories than you were before. Mm. So like, if you're still really, really hungry, that's not something you can sustain long term. So I think like one of the biggest problems with diets is people don't actually learn how to change their eating habits. It's just, they commit to being really hungry and like doing something they hate for 12 weeks Mm. and then don't really think about what happens after that. Yeah. And then it's like, when you get done with the diet, it's like, Oh, 
I want donuts and fries. Like I haven't had this stuff in so long. (laughs) Your your body adapts to this lower metabolism and you can just blow up like that. You have like, you literally have this list of like all the spots you're going to hit as soon as the diet's over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I liked your, uh, what did you call it? P3. Is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, the, The diet method you've been talking about. I like that because you put the prioritization on like learning what and why you're doing what you're going to do and then mm-hmm. on maintaining it afterwards. I think those yeah. are by far the two most overlooked things when you talk about going into and coming out of a diet. No, for sure, dude. And that's, so for context, it's prepare, push, practice, which is kind of the method that I use for my online coaching clients. So basically, yeah, like you're alluding to there, the prepare phase is basically just making sure that you have all the habits in place to successfully sustain this long-term. Like I can think of one example of, a client that I kept in this phase, just like getting him ready for the diet. This dude wasn't losing fat. He was losing, but very, very slowly. So we were essentially right around maintenance. Like we're seeing his measurements shift a bit, but weight wasn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't losing weight. Even though that was his goal. But we kept him in this phase because he wasn't consistently getting his protein in. He wasn't consistently hitting his calorie goals. And it was kind of a, he wasn't stoked about it, mm-hmm. but I like, I had to explain like, dude, I, I could drop you in a fat loss phase right now. You could lose quickly, but when you leave and you don't know how to maintain this, I've done you a disservice. Mm-hmm. So like since then he's like figured out like, okay, these are some good protein sources. We've really worked through this. Like he's gotten more consistent with that. Same thing with food choices. Like he's choosing these satiated foods. So then it's like, okay, now like we're ready to cut your calories when we push but we have to make sure you have these foundations in place. And like similarly with that, the practice phase, so again, prepare, push, practice that comes after the diet. Because again, like fat loss, the mindset is, it's very motivating. You see your body changing very quickly. Mm -hmm. But like if you're somebody that's lost 30 to 40 pounds, your body has deviated so far from its previous settling point not set point, but like the settling point of basically your environmental factors, your mm-hmm. your habits that kind of created where your body tended to settle before. You're so far from that that you have to like, we literally have to dive into like, okay, what things in your environment are kind of sabotaging you being able to maintain this? What habits you need to be able to change? So it's all like very much, um, it's a lot of different things, but I think it's very important to like, after a change like that, actually spend time like, we're literally just going to practice your ability to maintain this and like getting into that mindset. Because like we just talked about, otherwise after a fat loss phase, people are always like, damn, it's time to eat. Like the mm-hmm. diet's over. Right. Mm-hmm. But that yeah, doesn't, I think, I think it's kind of beating a dead horse in like the space and audience that we have, but I'm so frustrated by like uh 30 day transformations or like 30 day challenges and stuff like that. But of people aren't going to be able to sustain that. And so it's just frustrating. No, exactly. And that's, I mean, again, I've fallen into that trap before, as I'm sure like you've done things like that too, but it is to like playing the long game, I think is the most important thing we can do, especially because otherwise like you're just going to be in this exact same place next January Mm -hmm. when you start another 30 to challenge, probably a little bit worse place. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, uh, I like the fact that I was also wanted to talk about, like, you seem to prioritize like diet breaks a lot more Mm -hmm. so than I see a lot of the time. And that's probably another place where that sustainability 
and that um, just just sticking with those results afterwards probably comes into play. Is that, how you, is that why you schedule that sort of stuff? Yeah, there? so with a diet break, I mean, there are some physiological adaptations. So basically metabolic adaptation is what happens when, and I'm sure you know this, but basically your body's adaptation to diet. Now there's a lot of like fear mongering out there. Also like you ruin your metabolism with your diet, which isn't the case, but basically as we eat less levels of a hormone called leptin are going to decrease. So ghrelin, the hunger hormone kind of has an inverse relationship with leptin. So yeah, is going to shoot up. The way I remember it is ghrelin and gur hungry. I love it. I love it. I've never heard that actually. Okay. So, so I mean, you get how all this works, but basically we move less and as we lose weight, we weigh less. So we're burning fewer. We, our body basically takes fewer calories to function. We're also burning fewer calories to move. And again, like your non-exercise activity tends to decrease and we're eating less, we're burning fewer calories during digestion. Now, obviously like some of that is just a natural part of getting smaller, but, and really I think the biggest part of diet breaks, like all this stuff sounds sexy. Like, yeah, we're going to increase your metabolism. We're going to decrease these levels of leptin. But I think the biggest part for most people is people really just get burnt out Yeah. over like past 12 weeks of dieting. Most people are just ready for a break. People are ready to feel better for a bit. So mm-hmm. it does like it's going to increase our levels of leptin. So hunger is going to decrease. We're going to be expending more energy. But for most people, the biggest thing, so typically for clients, I like to take these every six to 12 weeks. And it really, that varies a little so basically we look at your biofeedback and we can see like okay i'll normally see like hunger and cravings shoot up for two weeks and the client's motivation and mood drop for two weeks and there's normally like right around that eight to twelve week mark there's a super distinct just drop off out of nowhere mm-hmm. that we see that hit and that's when i know okay it's probably about time to take a diet break where basically we just move them up to maintenance increase that via carbs because carbs have been shown to have the most interaction with increasing leptin and then it's typically like two weeks but yeah like sorry for that ramble but for most people it's i truly think it's just mostly the psychological aspect of it like one i am getting a break from this and people feel really good too when they just know that they can maintain like i had probably close to 10 clients that for the whole from thanksgiving to new year's we're literally just at maintenance. Oh but, yeah, that's that's what else I was gonna say is I liked how you like talked about putting it at an intelligent time, like around the holiday. Right. right. So for those people, this was they learn how to enjoy the holidays. But again, it's like learning new skills and habits. Like for them, they all went into that scare that they were gonna gain. So we talked through like here we're at maintenance instead of in a fat loss phase, you can enjoy your life more. But also here's like all these tools you can use to maintain your results instead of like every other holiday where, which is exactly why they're scared. Like you've gained five to 10 pounds and all of them came on the other side. Like this is so cool that like now I know every holiday going forward, instead of being a time of drastic regression, I can maintain my results. And then the other 10 and a half, 11 months I can make progress. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that's the thing is just like learning and having like your own aha moments is so powerful. Like I know for me personally, I still, I still kind of follow along 
my typical like winter bulk and summer cut, which is like not as, not as extreme as it used to be. Right. So I'm kind of trying to like my goal right now is I've never gotten below 10% body fat. So that's kind of what I'm working towards. Let's go. It's been interesting, like how like it's so relatively easy because it's been like two years now that I've that I've been practicing these evidence based right. science based principles, and I listen to podcasts and I read things and I talk to people like you. And it's like so much of that information gets ingrained that it's like mm-hmm. almost second nature to build muscle or lose fat. Like I hesitate to say it's easy, but it really can be pretty uh, something. I, another thing I say a lot is simple, but not easy. Like right. you need to eat like 23 ish hundred calories a day, which is what I aim for when I'm cutting. Not necessarily, but if you do it in an intelligent way and you have this goal in mind, you can, you can make it seem easier. Right. And I think that that's another important thing too, is just like, having having a specific outcome like for me i want to reach under 10 percent body fat and then try to sustain it over the summer am i going to freak out if i go a little bit above no like am i going to freak out if it takes a little longer no but it's like another another concept i'm i'm very familiar with personally now is just the fact that like developing your own intuition around things where it's like i don't even necessarily have to track every single calorie anymore right definitely if i was going for like like a more extreme body fat, like seven, eight, six, low or something like that. But doing this, I feel like I can do it pretty much intuitively. And I can kind of just like read what my body wants. Like, for example, uh, the two weeks I'm in now are kind of unique where um, I don't always plan to deload, but I feel like I really needed a deload this week because I've been still lifting pretty hard, like my normal lifting routine while reducing calories. And so I feel a little bit under recovered. So my plan is deload this week and stay on my lower calories and then get back into the full swing of lifting next week, going into maintenance, and then uh, just kind of probably one or two more weeks is about all I'm going to need. So it's interesting where it's like, I don't remember where I heard this initially, but it, I think I think it was something I read in Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography where he okay. just said like the more experience you have and the more things you go out and do, it's like you develop intuition. It's not yeah. like always innate, but it's like the more experiences you have, the quicker you develop your own intuition to do this kind of stuff. And I think that's clear by the fact that like during his era of bodybuilding, they weren't doing a lot of tracking at all, but it's like, they knew kind of like something I mentioned at the beginning of this, like bodybuilding is still interesting to me, even though I wouldn't say it's like my number one goal or endeavor, because it's one of those spaces where anecdotes are used so heavily. And it's like, Oh, you know, like, I don't know. I remember hearing Arnold say stuff like, Oh, we'd, we'd tell a guy to, to eat more carbs because he was looking a little flat and then that would fix it right up and like stuff like that. Like they had these little shifts and they didn't know exactly why, but it was just kind of that that's like the pinnacle of anecdotal sort of evidence. I think. No, I agree hundred percent. And it is, it is super interesting to look at like all these old time guys before, like now where we have such easy access to all this science, like Mm -hmm. how many things they were correct about. Right. Mm hmm. I'm trying to find out where I, I want to say it was I think it was also in the book thinking fast and slow that Daniel Kahneman talked about intuition in the same kind of way where it's like it's something that you develop he's like the more experience you have the, the sharper your intuition is so I just think that's really interesting okay I haven't read that I've heard so many people mention yeah, it's, it it's kind of a beast of a book it's probably one of the biggest books I've read but oh really it's definitely it's definitely really good and it's kind of broken up too where like he'll go into these different um, like theories and different experiments on like a 30, 40 page, like uh, different sections. 
And so okay. it's not it's not like terribly tough to pick up and put down. Right. Okay. What are you reading right now? That's I was just gonna ask you the same question. Uh I just finished The One Thing by Gary Keller. Have you heard of that? Great book, yeah. So that was really interesting and it kind of helped me to redirect my focus. Like so through December I was really thinking a lot about where I wanted to go as far as like my online brand and stuff like that. And I, f- I feel that I have a goal right now that I'm trying to build up this bank of content with my podcasting and blogging. And I eventually aspire to do coaching. I love it. So basically it kind of reaffirmed my goal of like, so his principle is for, for, he says four hours a day, which is definitely tough for a lot of people, mm-hmm. which he acknowledges, but it's like, do your one thing, which is, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how it goes. Like what's the one thing that if done would make everything else easier or unnecessary. Right. So for me, I, I thought about that and it kind of took a lot of rumination, but where I kind of landed was, so most of my mornings are free. So I usually like to wake up early and I, I, I have tentatively put like the mornings as my one thing. So like for me, I find it's really important to like work on my internal environment because I think that's where everything starts. And so I use every morning to make sure I do my affirmations, do my gratitude, meditate, read. And then also for about a half an hour to an hour in the morning, I want to write, whether that be journaling, making a blog, I want to make a short book, kind of similar to like the book that you have um, to offer for free on my website. And so that, so just like what's encapsulated is working my my inner my inner self and making sure that I'm very intentional and focus on being the best version of myself so that I can help other people and then exercising the um, content creation putting something out there podcasts blogs like I said my Instagram posts that's a form of writing for me too so like working on myself working on putting something out there and then working on learning more and growing which is a lot of time just reading for me so that's what right. I that and then another book that's been pretty similar is Robert Greene's book Mastery where he just great book too if, if I was to sum it up like really quickly it's like he talks about to me like I think of it as gaining skills and right. gaining knowledge versus just like looking for outcomes and looking for um like title and stuff like that i feel like it really i feel like it's a great book to read at this point in my life because a lot of people not not that everyone who has a station in life is like cocky about it or bragging about it but i feel like a lot of people in their mid-20s can be jealous of like oh this person has this title at their job or this person's reached an outcome and not everyone seems to always be focused on what can I do to get better and learn and be in the trenches and improve myself. And that's, I feel right. like, the point in that book. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things from Mastery was him just talking about, like, you have to be okay with just putting in this work that feels monotonous sometimes mm-hmm. over and over again for, like, be patient for years and years. And that's kind of how it comes about. Like, that's, I love that you mentioned that because that's one of my all-time favorite books, too. We have so many books in common, dude. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, no, great book. And then like even one of my favorite things I took from that also, I wrote about some blog a while back actually was all these people because Mastery talks about like, what, it's, is it Mozart or Beethoven? Basically like all these. Yeah, I'm forgetting too. I think maybe both actually. 
Okay, so basically, like, all these famous historical figures, artists, um, like, uh, yeah, the theory of evolution, I don't, Darwin, like, he's in there, but all these people that they just, they, like, have this very structured, disciplined practice, and they, like, created these great things, but I feel like so many of us think that, like, it just comes to people in a flash of genius. Mm-hmm. But so master was like, no, like all these people literally spent years and years just over and over just with this discipline practice. And then that's how they created this. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I worry a little bit because I know that it's easy to put yourself in like a confirmation chamber. But for me, that book really affirmed like where I'm going with my life because I feel like I do put a big emphasis on actually learning and like actually right. improving myself. And something that resonated with me a lot um, was something I pointed out on my story like a couple weeks ago, how I don't remember exactly how you phrased it. Uh, I think you said like intentionally putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. That's mm-hmm. been a big point of emphasis for me too, because I feel like that's how you grow. But another oh, thing I had recently is like, sometimes it's tough because uh, it's, it's, it's hard because you don't see the gains you're making on a day-to-day basis. And so sometimes it's easy to get hard on yourself, but if you if if you look back at who you were six months a year uh, or more ago, it's like you I've made a lot of changes, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Oh, 100 percent. And I feel like speaking to getting uncomfortable, it is definitely a fine line. And I think that we're probably similar, and we probably tend to be too hard on ourselves as opposed mm-hmm. to like seeing like this is all the progress I made. Because I know like for me, just the other day, I was like I was writing that, and I was like. I have, I'm not doing anything that makes me super uncomfortable right now. Like, mm-hmm. because that bubble also expands constantly as you push. Right. So I don't, it's a, it's an interesting thing, man. Where this came up recently for me was um, I was talking about the fact that like, I, I like to dip my toes in a lot of different things. And so like over the past six months, I've been doing a ton of yoga and a little bit less okay. weightlifting. But, like I still okay. go to the gym and lift and it's like, I think like, oh man, like I still get that feeling of, oh, I want to be as strong or as big as this guy. But then I go to yoga and I'm like, oh, I want to be as flexible and and mindful as this person. And then like I, my other thing I've been working on is doing stand up, and I go and I'm like, oh, I want to be as funny as this person. Oh, let's go. Okay. I should be proud of myself for improving at a lot of different things. Like it's so easy, even as someone who will like be the first to tell a friend like don't compare yourself to other people like it's still it's tough to remind <laughs> yourself of that sometimes oh dude i can relate it so much and that's like to my clients all day like you're crushing it look at all these positives like look at how much your measurements change we see like all these prs in the gym but like same thing like we're our own worst critic right mm-hmm. so you're doing stand-up yeah yeah that's that's fun. dope yeah i started out doing um uh toastmasters and then i kind of i don't know i just it's kind of a mix of like, I've always actually so, been really interested in stand-up. I'll let on your schedule, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've always been interested in stand-up. And so it's a good way to, I think, number one, it's really scary. And it's like the, oh, yeah. one of the highest forms of public speaking. Um, and then the other thing is just like, it helps me exercise my creativity. And I like the fact that uh, I was definitely influenced by people like Joe Rogan. Like he's always talking about stand-up in his podcast. And I like I like the fact that he talked about it's like the one thing or one of the few things in life where the only way you get better at it is going and trying it out in front of people. He's like, there's right. no book on stand up. Like you don't get better at stand up locking yourself in your room. 
Like you get right. better at it by going out and trying it. So it's, it's a cool thing, I think. And I've just finally in the past, like two or three weeks become more comfortable. Like it used to be a complete grind for me. I try to go every week uh, at the same okay. time, but it used to be such a grind. I was like always making excuses for myself. And I skipped a lot at the beginning of the year. I made a goal for 2020 to go three times a month and I love it, dude. working on that average. Now I definitely skipped it a lot, but just like anything, it becomes more comfortable. And it's one of those right. things also cool to see. It's like, man, if you would have asked me a year or two ago, I wouldn't be like, no way in hell I'd ever do something like that. But when you grow right. little by little over time, the things that you wouldn't think you'd be doing, you, you can see yourself doing and you can, you can go after. I know 100%. And I feel like that's all just, again, it comes down to chasing some uncomfortable situations. That's what like improv for me has been similar to that you did something like that. Okay. Yeah, dude. It's so like at the start, it was just the worst. I mean, it's still like, I'm just starting again here in Phoenix, but it's like, the like you get it. It's shit. It's terrifying at the start. Like I know I would go ahead. So I'm thinking of improv, like, Basically, I use, are you, what's that show I always used to watch? With, Whose uh, line is it anyways? Yeah. So is it yeah. kind of stuff like that? So basically like. graduated version, but. Yeah. Yeah. So those guys are really, really good at it. So basically it's like you're in this room with it, um, a couple people and like they'll start out with, so like practice. So like I'm taking classes. So like practice will be like a person on each side of the stage. They'll give you kind of like a theme. So it could be like cats this person has to come up and say something related to cats and you come up with like something to like create a situation. And then like they play off of that and it's, you try to make it funny and it just sucks. And that's like, but like, so I did one show and then it's like, so you ask the audience for three words, mm. three people come out from like, so whatever our group is like eight people, three people come out and tell like based off of those words, a story from your life that that reminds you of. And then for the next 20 minutes, you just go out there and make up these skits on the fly, like related to these stories somehow. It's it's challenging, but it's super interesting too to see like how like learn how to kind of craft stories and like it's it's very interesting, but also like still very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Probably seems like longer than twenty minutes, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's how I feel about stand up is only four minutes, but it seems like it could be like an hour. You're just up there and everybody's staring at you. It's a crazy okay. Thing. So do you create like a different routine every time? Um, so myself personally, um, I basically, I don't know. I really sucked really bad. I would say the first time I went up there. And so I've tried like a few different things. Some people will kind of just have like a string of different jokes that aren't necessarily connected. But like the way I've always watched stand up and the way I've always enjoyed it is like when the jokes kind of feed into each other with the transition. So right. what I've kind of found is like, there's maybe been five or six times I've done it. I'm still very much in the introductory stages, but there's these premises that I feel like get a few laughs and that people like. And so I'll try right. to like tie the things that work in with each other. So my goal, like the, the ultimate outcome, or I guess maybe not necessarily an outcome, but more of like a checkpoint is like, I see myself stringing together like seven or eight different really good premises that all get a laugh and like okay. into like one set and like one story so that's kind of like what i'm working towards right now okay i love it that's that's dope that sounds it's, to me it's almost cool creative it's a cool creative thing to get into 
Right. And that's like same thing though. It's so cool to like look at like, okay, how do I craft this story to be like entertaining to draw people in and like all these different elements that you like need to make sure you include. It's super interesting because like from the outside, but like before you dived into this, like I always just thought that people that did improv or like did stand up comedy were just funny people and exactly, like, that's exactly right? what I about it. But it's so just like mastery, dude. Mm-hmm tie that all together like mm-hmm. it's just like so much time like perfecting this learning yeah it's just like anything i mean and the the, the thing i the, like i always tell people and i've said this a lot on the podcast but i feel like all the things i'm interested in kind of fall under one umbrella like i don't think stand-up comedy is that much different from fitness because it's working on making it work for you it's working on getting it better over time and I don't know. I, th- I think that w- when you adopt this like growth mindset and this mindset of wanting to improve, you can put it towards any different thing in life, even that doesn't seem connected. No, I agree a hundred percent. And that's what, like, I know so many people, like so many mentors, so many people in the fitness space that I look up to that like do that have read all the same books we're talking about that have like done stand up comedy or have done improv. It's like, I think that, most people that develop like a love for fitness long-term see it as kind of like this disciplined practice of self-improvement. Like being, and I've talked to a lot of my clients about this, like being jacked or like having abs isn't like the thing. It's like, did you practice the discipline? Like, did you beat yourself today? Beat yourself sounds weird, but you get what I'm saying. It changes your mind for sure. Like getting in better shape absolutely changes your mind. Like there's no doubt about it. Because right. I think for me, it taught me that like, oh, like if I can do this thing that seemed unattainable, like what else can I do that seems unattainable right now? And it's that and it teaches you the value of like 1% improvements over time. No, exactly. Exactly. But it's never like nobody actually ever build their confidence because they had abs. Like when, when you like go from being chubby to like getting ripped, yeah. the only person that really actually cares that much is you. Like, mm-hmm. like you're saying, it's, it's like this area that you let yourself down in over and over, you suddenly like follow through on all these things. You become a more disciplined person and that just carries over to everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the same exact thing for me. I think, cause I, I've thought about that too recently. Like when I look in the mirror and I, and I still like critique things and like, you know, Oh, I'd like to gain a little bit more muscle here and lose a little bit more fat. And it's like, sometimes I just stop and think like, man, if I, could see this body I have at like 17 or 18 years old, like I'd be blown away. I'd be like, Oh, I must be so happy. And it's like, it's not, people need to realize, and you can't realize it until you see it for yourself. Just like most of the best lessons in life, I think, but like, you don't realize that getting that body isn't just going to be like an end point where you're finally happy. Right. Oh, dude, a hundred percent. Like it's true. And I feel like that's honestly so true for everything. Like my buddy that I lived with, we were literally just right before this podcast talking about this exact same thing with business. Like we both created like this in our minds, like when I hit this point, I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to be stress-free. I'm not going to want anything more. Mm -hmm. And then like we both hit it and we're like, wow, I really did not. I needed to like think further ahead. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I feel like too, that's some of that is the beauty of like always kind of chasing this thing that's, not necessarily attainable is like part of the beauty of life right mm-hmm. it's like the hedonic treadmill you know if every if anyone's ever heard of that exactly the fact that you adapt to your new station in life whether you know there's like a classic example of i, I think there's 
some sort of psychological study where it's like over five years, you're not something like when you hit the lottery, you're not going to be any happier than you are right now in five years. Cause you just adjust to being this rich person. You buy this stuff and you have it. And now it's like, Oh, okay. I have this. Right. What now? No, exactly. Again, like taking it back to mastery. It's so much of like the happiness and the fulfillment you get out of it is like the, when you're in the trenches, so to speak, putting in the work, right? It's internal. I think that it's just like, that's the biggest lesson is it's definitely internal. No, 100%. I love it, dude. We're wrapping up soon. Uh, I never got to ask you, are you reading any good books right now? So right now I am working through Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh, I love that book. That's like the first book I ever read um, when I picked up reading as a habit again. Yeah, that's what, when I started reading as a habit again, four to five years ago, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People. And my dad was like, oh, you like that book? Because for me, that was a super impactful book. Mm -hmm. You should read this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And like, I was like, because my dad said that, I was like, "Uh, yeah, I'm good. Like you always think your parents don't know what they're talking about. Exactly. But now I'm like, damn, I wish I would have read this like five years ago because it is so good. Like I, I honestly think it's like already I'm about halfway through and it's usually one of my favorite books that I've consumed ever. Like just so much stuff, like really like what are your values or like thinking through all these things we don't really think about daily. I, it's been, it's been super impactful and super, super helpful for me so far. For sure. Yeah. I, that's one of those, that's one of the books where I guess I've been reading on my own accord for like maybe two years now and okay. a handful of, I haven't been to the point quite yet where I've read books a second time, but okay. ones that are on my list, my, my list for reading a second time for sure are the seven habits of highly effective people and the war of art. It's the great one. I know you're a Stephen Pressfield fan too. So. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm hoping to get Stephen Pressfield on my podcast sometime. I've talked to him on Instagram before and like, there's been like two or three times where he's like, he's like, oh, like, I'll come on sometime and then I'll hit him back up again. And he'll be like, oh, I'm really busy right now. Like ask me again. But I'm like, I got no time limit. Like I'm, I'm, I basically have a, a semi-firm commitment by Stephen Pressfield to come on my podcast sometime. So whether that's now or in five years, it'd be cool to have a conversation with him. Dude, that would be dope. Keep bothering him because I for sure want to tune into that. No, I'm a huge fan. Same thing. War of Art had a really big impact on me and Turning Pro was a great one too. Mm-hmm. I just watched the Shawshank Redemption. And I'm thinking of, uh, he's like, he like wrote those letters time and time again and they finally just gave him what he wanted. It's like, that's the approach I'm taking, I guess. I love it. I love it, dude. All right, man. Well, thanks again for coming on and uh, we'll have to chat again soon. I appreciate it. Of course, dude. This was super fun. Hey, it's Jake again. If this podcast provided you any value, I'd encourage you to share it with someone who you think might enjoy it. In addition, it'd really help me out a lot if you would go and subscribe or leave a review for my podcast. It's super easy. And in addition, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love for you to reach out to me by email or Instagram DM, which can both be found on my website. Thanks.